Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Today, I'm joined by the usual DY, Jack. And unfortunately, we don't have Lawrence today, but we do have a very special guest. She is my better half, Nicole. Now, I'm just going to preface before we get into today's podcast, boys, we're wanting to keep the roasting today to an absolute minimum. Uh, <laughs> just need to get in there nice and early before this, uh, this podcast gets out of hand. But how are we, Nicole? I'm good. I'm actually feeling quite happy to be part of this exclusive party. I get to hear it every single week, kind of in the background whilst I'm in my office, seeing as we're in adjacent offices. So for once, I actually get to be part of the team. It's only taken about a year. So I'm finally coming on board, which is cool. So thank you for yeah, having 100%. me. And it's weird because I can actually hear you in the other, other room right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Now, I thought we would just get into some questions straight up. And obviously, we threw out a poll and we got a few questions from there. So thank you to the listeners for, uh, for throwing in your questions within that question box. Just helps us every episode to divert our content a little bit more specific to you guys and girls. But um, the first question I've got here is, what is something that you've bought for less than $100 that has been life-changing for you? Now, I asked this question off air and all of you scrambled quickly to try and figure out an answer for this. So you're all sitting there on the edge of your seat thinking, shit, don't pick me first off. But uh, I'm going to I'm gonna pick you, Jack. What's, uh, what's something $100 or less that has been life-changing for you? Yeah, I'd probably have to... I won't go with the boring option, which would be like wrist straps because like that's very typical of bodybuilding. But I'll choose something that is also actually pretty typical of bodybuilding. But... Tiara, we discussed um, Tiara buying a microwave uh, uh, about 10 episodes ago, but probably that actually, I think it really helps to have a, it's definitely life-changing, so to speak, mm. to have a second. The first thing that comes to mind is I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw both of you go and buy a microwave when you were traveling for your se- for your season. Is that correct? You were in like Townsville or something like that and you've gone and bought an No, yeah, we were in uh, Sydney. Well, I didn't join her, but yeah, she went and bought a microwave. Yeah. Hey, that's dedication, right? Yeah. What about you, DY? I think I'm going to have to go with the rice cooker. I discussed it off air a little bit, and I'm going to go with the ultimate. It's pretty much the wrist wraps of the kitchen. So I'm probably going to have to go with a rice cooker because mm. stuff making uh, rice in a pot. <laughs> and uh, Nicole, you've got a bit of a story with your rice cooker. I've heard that you cooked yeah. all kinds of things with using it in the past. <laughs> Yeah, so I actually back this 100%. If you need an appliance that's not a microwave, a rice cooker is definitely going to be your best bet. I had to use one in hotel quarantine when I left Japan when they were doing the army base quarantine. And that was my only way to kind of follow through with my diet was to get some groceries delivered to me every couple of days. And I was browning meat, steaming vegetables, cooking oats, everything in my $20 supermarket rice cooker. So it was like the best thing ever. So if you can get an appliance and that's your only appliance, you're kind of set. So mm. sure. I think it'll be uh... bake bread in the rice cooker. Well, really? our one at home is actually pretty good. We've made pancakes in ours before. So I think you can bake cakes and all sorts of stuff in there too. Mm. Mm. That's the start of a, of a dedicated Instagram for rice cooker cooking. <laughs> I'm sure he know that. <laughs> what would we call the Instagram page? Rice cooking down under. There you go. <laughs> done. It's done. Stay tuned. <laughs> Jack was looking at other ways to use his uh wheat flour. That's why. There. What's going on? Yeah. 
Oh my god, here we go. Here's Lawrence. How are we, mate? He's tuned in. We can't hear him though. <laughs> What's he wearing? Is he wearing a suit? He's at the graduation. What's this man doing? He had to tune in, but we can't hear him. Just to uh, just to just to uh, inform the the listeners here, we're on obviously a four way call right now, and it was agreed that Lawrence wouldn't be in today's episode. However, we've just noticed that one of the windows has opened up, and here's Lawrence's beautiful face, uh, suited up with the the mo combed, the hair combed to the side, looking absolutely immaculate, and uh, he's gone. All right, he's gone. <clears throat> So, uh, I mean, I wish I wish sometimes we did video video. I got a screenshot. Of, uh, is you okay? <laughs> we, can, we can put that up there. That's totally fine. But I'm sure there's a there's a story to come with. Uh, we can upload that screenshot with the uh, with the post. Hopefully, week. I got him like completely wide open mouth. Yeah. Mid sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, well, uh, I guess what was uh, what was yours, Nicole? Hundred dollars. Um. Less. Okay, I'm gonna go with headphones kind of uh, from two ways. One, uh, for flow state for both work and training. I can't deal with distractions. So if I'm not able to put myself aside into a room and work, I'll need headphones. Um, And during training, I absolutely can't stand external noise. So I think headphones for me, but also from a standpoint for sleep. So either headphones for for music or also for sleep. So they still work within $100. Mm, I could get both mm, technically. mm. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to say there though, neither <laughs> of your headphones are under a hundred dollars. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going? Are we going to Kmart to get those headphones or something? Like- DC just rolls over at night and she's just got these big wide headphones <laughs> going off the back of her. <laughs> to be so fair, I do need them for sleep, sleep for a particular reason. <laughs> I mean, you so, can say it. I snore like a hog. So he does. He does. I actually need to record it because sometimes I wonder if he is actually conscious, um, <laughs> or, or whether we need to, um, you know, look at maybe getting some sleep apnea tests. I'm like, are you breathing? Are you okay? <laughs> For his like, birthday, guy, just get him some alive? nasal strips. Just get him some nasal strips. You'll get the uh, gist of it. We've I think tried. We've them. tried all the things. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep with straws up his nose, trying to get some more airflow in there. I don't know. Next time you see him, have a look at how small and petite his little nose, um, little noses. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably the only I'm thing just, that's small. I have and such petite. a good nose that it's just you know I just can't breathe through it. It's just so yeah. little and tiny. You know? Um, yeah. So headphones, cool. I would say my hundred dollar purchase uh, or less would probably be this peanut. This thing right here. Yeah, you love yeah. that thing. Yeah. So just to, uh, to put forth <laughs> uh, the imagery for the for the for the listeners there, like a peanut is almost like a physio device, like the two balls that are linked together, and you use it to like mobilize your your spine. And uh, I can use it as a little bit of like a mini foam roller as well. Uh, I remember buying one of these, and it's just come. With, it's just I brought it everywhere, like to travel. It can go in the suitcase and everything like that. And um, yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely love it. Got my fair share of like mobility devices. We're like watching, what are we watching Westworld at the moment? I'm sitting there yeah. with my Theracane getting into my back, mobilizing my back. Whilst I actually think we have two rooms, no, three rooms full of mobility devices. Your office, my office, and downstairs we have a basket full of stuff as well. Yeah. So if so anyone needs like any, we covered. Yeah, you're cooking something in the kitchen, you're mobilizing at the same time. <laughs> you're watching TV, you're mobilizing at the same time. We've got it covered. <laughs> maximum efficiency that right there 
I can just 100%. imagine walking into DC's kitchen and, and he's microwaving a meal and he's laying down dead flat on the ground, just rolling out his spine. You're actually not too far off, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm just all over it. I just I just want it that bad, you know? There's yeah. no days off. Exactly. Well, uh, let's jump into the second question here. This is a little bit more of a serious question now, but this question is, I have two shows uh, back-to-back, or I guess, uh, sorry, I have a show two weeks apart uh, in terms of this upcoming season. How do I ensure that I am peaked for both? Or how would I at least maintain my peak moving into the next show? So let's start with yourself, Nicole. Okay. Um, do we just presume that that person is neither category, just a general person? Yeah, I guess just a general. General would be, would okay. be totally, totally fine. I guess in, in a way you could possibly do a moderate approach towards the first show as a means of just ensuring that, you know, you're not overcarbing that particular person. So that way, if there was any instance where maybe you were overshooting their caloric intake, you're not going to have several days where maybe you're having to work around that. Um, so that could potentially be one approach. Um, I, I, this is a little bit tricky, I guess, without having any understanding of what the person is doing, um, as in the sense of what category, so their level of leanness and things like that as well. But um, I think probably being a little bit safer rather than pushing things too hard is probably going to be a better approach to make sure that you're ready for the first show and then you could probably make smaller changes coming into the show at uh, the second show because two weeks is kind of not long away but also kind of too long away a week is obviously a little bit shorter so I think that um yeah pro- I, I don't know that's probably the general thing that I would probably look at is probably just going a little bit more conservative with the the peaking protocol for that particular week Mm. And even just based on how generalized the the question is as well, it's probably yeah. safer to just be, <laughs> be safe just to be as general, well, right? yeah. In yeah. terms of recommendation, no, I completely agree. What about you, Jack? Anything you want to add? Yeah, I will say the question asked was female as well. So, but again, there's lots of different variation and conditioning for across the female category. So, I would really just say like judge how you go off your first show. Like maybe after experiencing that first show, you might actually not want to do a complete repeat of that peak. Like maybe they're asking for something a little bit sharper in which sense, like I would say that a full week of dieting plus a whole nother peak week, you could, for example, diet for that week in between and then run a backload so you can have more time up your sleeve to then uh, peak before the show and and still come in a little bit more conditioned. Like that's kind of what you did, right, DC, um, between Townsville and Queensland. Um, so that that could be an option as well. But I think make sure that you're getting data from your first peak and then using that data to influence how you might peak for that second week, essentially Mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely. What about you, DY? Anything you want to add? I'd pretty much say the same thing. Pretty much like what Nicole said and Jack said, I'd probably play it quite conservative at the start, gather some data in terms of how everything goes like you know i probably wouldn't go too crazy on the carbohydrates for the first show like you know play something that's quite conservative see how you go if you still have more room to you know fill out then you know you can obviously take that feedback uh into the second show maybe also the judging feedback as well like what jack said like see Mm -hmm. what the judges want do they want you more conditioned if they want you more conditioned then chances are you're probably going to need to run a different peak week uh the second time around two weeks is 
a very long time in my opinion in terms of like the shows like you can get a decent bit done especially if you did what jack said where you know maybe you run a backload if you do need a little bit more time to pull the condition you know chances are after you come off that first show you're going to be de-stressed after having the peak week you know you can then dig for a nice week and a half and then maybe do a backload if they want a little bit more condition if you're pretty much spot on you know you can obviously make a couple of changes throughout that initial week and maybe even rerun the exact same peak week, maybe some small little moderate changes. Now, if it was one week post, it's a little bit different. You might have to do an approach that DC said, you know, maybe you might not be able to go with a front load or like a mid load. You might have to go with a hard back load, um, which obviously worked extremely well for him. He was able to pull off a little bit more weight and then, um, you know, load correctly. But yeah, pro card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I definitely think going even going into the first show, despite it being the first peak that you actually run, you should still go into it with some data to go off, right? Because essentially you might be implementing things such as refeeds or you know double mm. refeeds. Hopefully the athlete is at that point where you can start to give back to the system a little bit. And you'd be looking at you know informing your decision based on how they look perhaps before and after those, those higher carb days. And you might even look to take photos, for example, the day before, you know, consecutive high days, and at least the day after, if not a couple of days after as well, to assess, you know, where is that person's best look? Is it the day after a high day, or is it uh, two days after when we've essentially perhaps washed away a little bit of that, that, uh, that you know, that glucose essentially? So, I think moving into that first show, you, you should be somewhat, in, you know, some not even somewhat, but you should be informed about what what that peak week should look like, and then just like what you guys have reiterated there, it's just a refinement process, right? So if you did come in a little bit spilled, okay, we need to kind of pull this back a little bit. If there was room in the tank to perhaps fill up even more, we were sort of leaning a little bit more on the flatter side of things, then maybe that's that's feedback that perhaps we can go a little bit harder when it comes to our carb up you know, b- beforehand. But it could even be, you know, adjustments with regards to food volumes and things like that. So you know, how did your how did your gut respond to uh to the foods that you were consuming within the peak do you need to perhaps cut fiber a little bit earlier in in that peak week because you still felt as though you know you weren't quite as tight through the midsection prior to jumping on stage i guess these are all things that you could be could be assessing but um yeah essentially i guess the answer for all of us is just to assess and refine essentially from that you know that first show and that second show and I mean, it's much easier when you have a coach, obviously, in your corner that's helping you to, to make those unbiased decisions, right? Because I think a competitor that's, that's extremely hungry and probably thinks they're overly flat, it's probably a great way to say, hey, yeah, I could afford more carbs, but maybe that's not what that person needs moving into that second show. Awesome. Well, uh, the third question here, an interesting question. Uh, how do I avoid throwing up from, from an intense leg session in brackets, full stomach of food, not a factor here? What do we think, guys? What's, uh, what would be some reasons as to, guys and girls, girl, what, what would be some reasons as to maybe why we're vomiting in our training sessions uh, and if food is not a factor? I think one thing would probably be intensity. Like I feel like if there's a high level of intensity with some very hard hitting exercises that could be the case. Maybe they're not warming up enough, or if they are, you might be able to do like a more tapered approach, maybe start the block at like maybe three RIR and then slowly work your way into it. So instead maybe week one, they might be going too intense straight off the bat and it could be causing some issues. So I reckon it's probably something to do with exercise selection or probably training intensity, or maybe not enough rest breaks. What do you guys think? For sure. What about you, Nicole? What do you think there? 
Um, I I think that this could also be relative to perhaps breathing. So whether you are actually wearing a weight bearing a weightlifting belt, perhaps you're actually having it too tight and you actually can't brace and use your transverse abdominis, and therefore maybe you aren't able to to breathe naturally. Um, maybe you do actually have very shallow breathing and you don't excel. So perhaps there's some breathing techniques that might work in your favor. Um, also maybe hydration status. So perhaps either being hypohydrated, so perhaps being too hydrated, maybe it's not sitting very comfortably in the stomach, maybe being underhydrated as well. Um, perhaps temperature. So temperature in the gym, gym clothing as well. So perhaps you're wearing clothing that is not perhaps breathing very well. Mm, just maybe getting too hot in session as well. Yeah. Yeah. What about so you, Jack? Anything there. to add? I still wouldn't discredit food because even though the stomach might not be full of food, it could still be playing a role. So it might still be something to look at and maybe delaying your or putting your pre-workout meal even further back. Like if you're having it two hours out, maybe try three or four hours out and potentially having like an intra-workout drink to kind of help offset the delayed pre-workout meal. But I definitely think, like Nicole said, uh, breathing plays a huge role, especially on on leg day. And it does for me personally too. Like if I'm like, I can't really actually train legs with people because if I talk too much, then I don't breathe enough and I end up feeling really sick. So I think regulating your breathing could be the, uh, the deal breaker for you. Was that the excuse mm. for Lawrence's session? Yeah. Have you noticed any issues with pre-workout at all? Causing I was actually like... going to mention that as well, particularly if you were maybe having that something or something like that, maybe, um maybe earlier in the day later in the day depending on whether you've had other stimulants as well or maybe it's a new thing that you've had you've never really taken um anything before and you know you can't actually tolerate the, the intake of maybe better alanine because you haven't done a, a half dose that could very much be a, a causative factor there as well mm, absolutely i think um generally with uh with perhaps more metabolic style training there, there might be that incidence of um, of more so vomiting because I think vomiting the, the the presence of vomiting within a workout bout is because it's we're trying to somehow like correct pH right basically right so essentially through vomiting I'm trying to get rid of some acidosis that's occurring within my system as a means of regulating for pH so like if we look at for example perhaps the modalities of training that we're doing and the rep ranges we're working within that might be a, a, a potential factor as well. Just like you highlighted as well, like the rest period in between sets. If I'm doing sets of 20 or 30 on a leg, leg press, I'm probably going to feel a lot more beat up with respect to, to that metabolic feeling in the stomach. And I'm, I'm essentially going to build up so many more metabolites uh, than for example, if I'm doing tens on the leg press. So mm. perhaps even modulating uh, the, the rep range and perhaps even the exercises might be suited as well. If I'm doing things that re that result in a very large time under tension, doing lots of walking lunges, you know, things like that. I'm probably likely to be accumulating a little bit more of that. Those are uh, those hydrogen ions, which I'm, I'm going to potentially, you know, vomit as a means of trying to balance that. So perhaps just changing, yeah, mo mo moderating, uh, rep range, things like that might be suitable as well. Definitely don't, don't, you know, not going to deter people from training damn hard, but, adjusting some variables might be uh, an important piece, particularly taking more rest between sets mm. as well. We've got a friend there, DY. Little man was just hassling the neighbors, had to call him in. He was letting, <laughs> it, he was letting them know that they can't be put, taking stuff off the washing line right now. 
100%. He was on watch. Well, uh, what do we think is the best exercise for quad growth? Hack squat or leg press? Let's go with you, Jack. Yeah, I think they can be pretty equal in terms of quad growth, depending on how it's executed, what your intensity is like on there, what the biomechanics of that piece is as well. So something where you can get more knee and hip flexion, arguably that's probably going to be better for quad growth. Mm. And I would say on average, it's hard actually, because it just, there's so many different options out there, but I would say on average, people can probably get better hip and knee flexion on, on leg presses than hack squats. Because I find that I think, especially for females, the hack squats will just bottom out before you're able to get sufficient knee flexion from what I've seen. And like, it's not always easy to extend that range of motion. Yeah, but Jack, I don't want a well-rationalized answer. I just want a yes, black or white, uh, well, then this or that. It has to be the barbell squat, surely. <laughs> okay, just try throw, yeah, just throw a completely new exercise in there. <laughs> if, if you were to pick one, Jack, and you wanted the biggest quads, what one are you picking? That's what I want to know. Would you run the hack squat or the leg press? I don't know what I'd, one, I'd, I'd honestly run the leg press. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a leg day program for myself without a leg press. Yeah. Mm, I guess that's a great rationalized answer. I'm, I'm probably similar in that token. And I guess if we could only run one, and that's not really the question here, but if you could only run one, I could probably do more volumes with, uh, with the leg press, I guess, than, than perhaps hack squatting a couple of times per week. Would it change though, if you were to have leg extensions in the program that would default in there on both leg days, and then you could either pick a hack squat or a leg press then. I'd, I'd still go a leg press. press. I'd probably yeah, still go a leg press to be yeah, fair. True. Oh uh, yeah, I prefer the hack squat. That's just my bias, but yeah, mm. yeah. I, I just find the hack squat is I can't really do more than two sets on that, unless I intentionally do more reps in reserve on the hack, and and I I find that I very very rarely have an issue with leg press in terms of my knees too. Mm. For sure. Do you, and this is a slightly different question, but do either of or any of you notice that? there are specific movements in the gym that tend to fatigue the most uh, when it comes to like perhaps requiring something like a training deload or just something that you just feel is, is hindered the most when it comes to affected recoverability. So I'll give you an example of myself. Like I feel as though even on some of the weeks where I've been incredibly depleted, I feel like a majority of my pulling exercises are usually fine. Like I find that a lot of my pull volumes and my intensities and my loads can be easily matched on these uh, even in very depleted weeks, but I find that my pressing movements for both legs and upper, so upper and lower, mm -hmm. are typically the ones that are affected the most. My bench press feels a hell of a lot heavier. Pendulums and hacks feel a hell of a lot heavier as well. I'm usually in need of a deload when I'm starting to, to see de deterioration within these particular lifts. What about you guys and girl? Is there anything out there that, <laughs> that uh, causes... Well, it causes, I guess, concern when it comes to your performance. Like what's, what's going to bomb out the first, for first thing. Mine's a, mine's a, um, an upper press. So it's generally a, a shoulder press or an overhead press. And that's also because of the fact that I, for a long period of time, did not prioritize those particular movements in my training. So I am still predominantly weaker in those areas. And I also have a bit of an imbalance as well with one of my shoulders. So I find as soon as I'm starting to get any, uh, a, training fatigue or maybe uh, postural tightness as well from just sitting in my desk constantly throughout the course of the week 
I find that that is the absolute first thing that goes and it's really hard to to get back and I probably only have a good couple of weeks with that where I see good progression but in regards to that versus my lower I think that that one is a lot more significant than a lower body press I definitely noticed that with training female clients I think a lot of the um, shoulder presses especially do tend to fall behind quite first are uh, quite like pretty much the first lift. I think it's also just because it's extremely hard to progress on those lifts for females. Every jump that you make is pretty much a 5% increment. Like, you know, if you're doing like, <laughs> you're doing 15 kilos, the next jump is 17.5. It's like, that's a mighty big jump per hand to go up in a calorie deficit. And then at the exact same rate, you know, it can also come off quite easily as well. Um, so I definitely do notice that. For myself though, I don't really notice like one strength drop off that would probably be quite severe, but it'd probably be a chest pressing movement. Um, majority of legs in the past, um, when I did train them hard, uh, was able to hold quite nicely. Yeah. I think I'm similar to you, DC, like upper press and lower press for me. And they're the two areas of my training and physique, which are probably the weakest as well. So it makes sense that they kind of go first, but I, I rarely, if I was planning to deload purely on my pull, like I'd probably could push out a block to like 10 weeks. Whereas I have to do probably a six to seven week block because of the uh, pressing movements. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's perhaps where there might be some merit to running things like more of a, a specified deload, perhaps specific to a, an actual movement itself. Because, you know, I often look at my my own program design and if my back can can handle volumes and not necessarily need to recover from these, do I really need to run reduce volume and intensity for these movements. Maybe if I am so fatigued or I'm sick or something like that, that might be viable. But often when I run something like a deload, I tend to specify a little bit more to those, to those movements that are certainly going to feel more affected in training than, than others. Mm. Um, I think Menno, Menno actually put up a, a, a study a while back, just looking at deloads and, and providing his insight in that, insight in that, in that respect. And it was sort of a similar notion, like, you know, you should probably deload the areas that, that are most likely affected as opposed to deloading everything. But so I still think there is, is perhaps deloading, uh, like a, a, a viability for deloading everything, just if, if, it's, if it's essentially permitted. Yeah, what I, just to interrupt, like what I occasionally do, because my pool day is on a Saturday. So sometimes like I'll deload Monday to Friday. And then if, my, if I'm feeling good, then I'll end up doing my usual pool day on a Saturday anyway. So I end up not actually really deloading pull at all. I still train it as per usual. So mm. I find that that's a good method around it for me. Yeah, awesome. Mm. What do we think of this Threads app? Mm. Do you guys have I'm Threads? Nah, I'm probably not going to do it. I'm not a fan personally. What is, just, like, can, can, you, can anyone tell me what it is? It's basically like Instagram's uh, version of Twitter because okay. Twitter's sort of had some hiccups with Elon taking over and just some negative things happening on there in terms of the choices that they've made from my knowledge, I'm not on Twitter, but I think Instagram's naturally wanting to play some competition there now. Mm. I, did, I still don't even have TikTok. So yeah, no, I'm well behind. <laughs> so no chance of getting threads if I haven't even caught up with that one. Yeah. 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 I remember when uh, Instagram was becoming so much more popular and I was really against getting, getting Instagram when it first came out. Cause I had Facebook and I'm like, Facebook is enough. But like I, 
that's enough for now, you know? And then the next social media platform rolls around and the same thing thread comes about. And I'm like, what is this? Like, do I need this? Do I really need another uh, platform? Oh my God, it's Lawrence. What's going on, mate? He's finally unmuted his mic. Mate, Gemma's up there graduating right now, but I thought, Oh, I can't be missing the boys and, and Nicole. Hey, Nicole. And the girl. Hey, how are you going? Yeah, good. I'm no actually, days I'm off for Lawrence. Timing, so I was like, can't be done. I'm out of here. Yeah. And, you know, well, Cole, mate. Nicole looks wonderful, but little did the <laughs> listeners know, I'm suited up for every podcast. Yeah, look And flash. then the three of you slobs just sit there in your, you know, oversized tees and nonsense. But this is how I always am. Yeah. Mm, mm. Well, I have a question for you, Lawrence. Actually, and this is a little bit off off the cuff. It's the question that we asked. I asked the uh, the other potty peeps a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah. And basically, it was, "What is something you've bought for a hundred dollars or less that has been life changing for you?" Ooh, man, I'm gonna go with like an electric shaver. Like when <laughs> I uh, went like the electric shaving route instead of just dry shaving every time, that was a game changer absolute game changer it's just up to the individual as to how many body parts you want to use it on and whether or not you want to potentially invest in a second shaver for other regions but you know i won't tell if you don't dc you know what i mean <laughs> well uh anyway, well, the mo yeah, is looking that, absolutely that, immaculate so it's clear yeah, yeah. that, that you, that would be the answer right then and there yeah the I only thing with long. jack is he's got uh he's got a yeah face trimmer but he's also got a hedge trimmer as well for his Mate, legs and back come showtime yeah. All right. Well, I just wanted to be here plug that one in. <laughs> to say, unbeaten, 61 in a row, baby. They said it could not be done, but we're just out here defying logic and defying reason. So for all of those and forever, all the smack you guys would have spoken while Star was off air. Sorry, no can do. All right, guys. <laughs> we'll have to edit that I love out. you all. Yeah. Speak to you next week. Actually, yes, this would have been the first potty, I believe, that Lawrence wasn't present on. So, I mean, that was a big F you to us to be like, nope, uh, I'm going to be here. So I know I admire the uh, the consistency, man. Appreciate you. But uh, he's off and it's back to the four of us again. But that was a, a, a pleasant surprise to get Lawrence on the potty today. All righty, moving on to the next question here, which is thoughts about IVF becoming more common amongst long-term female bodybuilders. Now, uh, speaking of uh, female bodybuilders, we do have one uh, within the podcast today. So I'd like to (laughs) palm this question off to you, Nicole. Okay. All right. Um, Well, to be fair, I just think personally that this might be more speculative, um, purely from the standpoint of, you know, we don't really have enough research to say that there is any correlation between bodybuilding community and IVF, um, unfortunately. I do think that this is kind of, I guess in a way, like when you look at it from the perspective of people or couples can choose to do this for any given reason, and it could be the the male or the female that could obviously be the reason that maybe this couple is deciding to do that. Whether there's a health condition, maybe the female has endometriosis, um, whatever that that reason might be. So I don't think that it's necessarily perhaps because a competitor might um, also be having IVF and also have been doing a, a course of bodybuilding competitions and it's a result of the competitions and competing itself. It could very much be perhaps when you're looking at it that um, maybe they are spending their time in which they would normally be having a family. Maybe that's the time in which they're competing. So maybe having children at a later age, 
therefore requires them to actually look at those additional methods of having a, a family or starting a family. So I don't actually know if there's really any any specific correlation to it, like pointing maybe that it's an effect of bodybuilding or going through a contest prep. So I'm curious as to what you guys think. I wonder if perhaps it's just becoming more common in general as well, you know, as, so. as uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm wondering if there's that, that potential correlation causation. I mean, if it's becoming more common for females or couples to explore IVF treatment, then, uh, then perhaps it might be something that we view within the female, you know, bodybuilding mm. demographic as well. I don't even Anything? think, um, well, even to add on to that, like it's, um, obviously you're looking at maybe natural or enhanced bodybuilding. Where do you kind of draw the line? But even if you're looking at natural bodybuilding, there's nothing to say that, um, from what I've checked, um, that someone who competes naturally can't go through a course of IVF because, um, you know, technically the compounds of which they, they're having a follicle stimulating hormone or luteinizing hormone as a, a course of intravenous injections to sort of release an egg. And then obviously um, they're, they're removing that egg and um, then the rest is in in vitro. So, you know, it's not really affecting someone perhaps competing as a result of I'm, I'm a natural competitor. I might not be able to do this, but is it also perhaps maybe because there's also things like contraceptive use with athletes as well? Is that also a causative factor that perhaps females are becoming more amenorrheic as a result of having contraceptive over a long period of time so and it just happens that they might be an athlete as well regardless of what sport they might be in so is, is that also something that you look at for maybe um like other weight classification sports such as gymnasts cyclists runners etc mm. no i think that's a great a great a great answer right there Let's um, move on to this next question that we've got here. Our opinions on fasted cardio, pros and cons. I'm going to chuck this over to you, DY, even though, I mean, out of any of us, you're probably the person who does the least amount of cardio <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a contest prep duration. Um, but uh, is, is, is fasted cardio something that you would ever prescribe to any of your, your prep athletes? Yeah, I have prescribed it to a couple of clients. Um, I find it's somewhat helpful. Like I'll put it, so if I was to prescribe it, I'd pretty much prescribe it on rest days nearly only. So for example, if they were training five days a week, I might have it on two rest days. Um, I don't always prescribe it, but for some people, I find it extremely beneficial if they normally train in the morning to then stall out their first meal like they would normally have. So if they if they normally train in the morning at like 6 a.m. and then they normally eat their first meal at 8, if they wake up on a rest day, maybe at 6 a.m. still, you know, there's a big gap there where they're probably going to be very, very hungry throughout the day. I know when I was on rest days, my hunger would be increased. So if you maybe adding in some cardio on those days, stall out the meal timing um, is pretty much a lot of people find it quite beneficial but not only that i feel like a lot of clients in the back end of prep um on the rest days they feel quite lost they'll wake up in the morning and they feel like they should be doing something so you know on those days you can maybe be like wait well if you want to get in the gym maybe practice some posing do some abs and then maybe do a little bit of cardio we can add in some cardio on those days instead of maybe increasing steps further as you know as a means of increasing daily activity so those are probably my two things stalling out the first meal keeping them in routine. Mm. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I agree. I think as, as long as the client or the athlete doesn't take it to extremes, like we don't want to uh, prolong that initial bolus of protein for too long and maybe even doing like a 
protein modified or protein sparing modified fasted cardio, like maybe having some protein before the fasted cardio. And, but I think the main thing is just as long as you're not taking it to extremes, like you're not fasting up until 12 PM and you're not getting in your workout after the fasted cardio before you've even eaten. I think, I think that would be a recipe for some atrophy. That's, that's one thing that you just brought up is I always try and make sure the cardio isn't detrimental to the weight sessions mm. because as soon as it starts carrying over into like leg days, maybe some glute training and stuff like that, or maybe it might produce a little bit of DOMS, then, then obviously maybe it might not be the call there. Mm. Is there anything that you wanted to add, Nicole? Um, not really. I think the boys covered it pretty well. The only other instance that maybe I might utilize it would be perhaps maybe after a, a higher carb day or a refeed day, just as a means of, you know, you're fasting overnight, but essentially you still have the benefits of having that higher uh, intake the day prior. So you're still having an abundance of energy, hopefully uh, the following day. But that that's really all that I felt like was not already discussed, which was awesome. Hmm. I think the prevalence of uh, fasted cardio is, has become more around just simply as a means of getting your steps in as opposed to perhaps what, what it would have provided benefit towards in times of you know, a prior time, which we thought fasted cardio is perhaps superior to, you know, cardio in which you've eaten prior to. And I guess research is not, has, has not really pinpointed the, the benefits of, of fasted cardio with respect to increased, uh, you know, overall net, net uh, lipolysis. Perhaps it's, it's quite, quite matched when you have a hypocaloric environment, right? Uh, or isocaloric environment, sorry. So, um, Yes, I feel as though, or should say hypocaloric because we are in a caloric deficit. But, um, you know, I think it's just a great way of getting your steps done in, in the morning and getting getting a good chunk of them done. So for a lot of prep, prep athletes, I feel as though, you know, steps is generally something that gets pushed up quite high, particularly towards the tail end of prep where there's a greater degree of um, metabolic adaptation. And, uh, and I guess as a result of that, you know, getting your steps done in the morning is, is certainly going to be beneficial, particularly if you're someone who has a lot going on within your day, you work a nine to five, you have to train, mm -hmm. you've got kids to attend to, you've got to drop them off at school in the morning. Like there's so many things that you need to get done within your day. Plus you're also that prep athlete. You're likely going to need to do some steps in the morning, likely in a position where you're waking up. At, I mean, it, we can probably all attest to this. We're all waking up at the point where the sun is not up yet. It's, it's probably just in the midst of rising, probably not viable to have a meal at that point in time, because realistically, I'm not really eating that many calories. Uh, if I'm having to, to space out my food in such a large window of time, I might just be even hungrier. So if I just get some chunk of steps done in the morning, you know, I can get through them. So that would probably be my, my main prescription around fast and cardio, you know, in essence, but um, this question, yeah, I feel like this is a given, but we'll, we'll throw it out there, right? So is it rude to take plates off a machine that somebody else is using? What do we I think? Wanna I want to clarify this because I thought about it in two ways. Is this meaning perhaps, you know, how you have a, a plate loaded lap pull down and perhaps there is, uh, you can stack the weights on the back and it's not in use. Mm, are we looking at it from that perspective? Mm. Are we looking at it as in it's actually on the machine and they're going through their repetitions? Because um, I have an answer for both. <laughs> that is actually a great, a great point of uh, point of call there. Because yes, I almost feel like it's exercise specific too. There's certain things where I'm like, it's probably okay if I pull a plate off the machine here, but someone's doing something else, and I'll extrapolate that a little bit further. But well, let's let's get your answer for both. <laughs> I guess. Okay. So um, I don't 
personally think it's rude unless it's perhaps going to be distracting or disruptive to the person. Let's say that that it's it's something that it's just free weights that it racked on the machine. So if it's not going to um, disrupt the person that is currently on it, um, I would wait probably until they are not going through their set. And if if that's the case, if there wasn't anything around me, um, if it was something that they're going to feel the weight come off, I'd probably avoid doing it personally, just because I know that I probably would notice that myself and maybe I would find that a bit disruptive to continue on. If it's um, on their actual equipment and it's part of their their load, um, I've unfortunately been at fault of this by mistake. <laughs> So um, I unfortunately uh, didn't realize that a group of guys were using, I think it was, uh, I think it was either the gym 80 um, front lap pull down. I think it was the gym 80 one. Didn't realize just in the zone, took off a 20, put it on my machine and I uh, didn't realize that they were actually going through their set and I took it off whilst they were going um, and was incredibly embarrassed, but they thought it was hilarious. So it was all good. I can definitely vouch for being in a similar situation. I think I was, this was quite a few years back, but I think I was at actually Mount Gravatt and I was there for like an ICN posing posing uh, workshop. And I think I did like a, a, a shoulder day there and I've pulled plates off this like hammer strength shoulder press. And there was a woman that was on it. And I remember it like, as I pulled it out, I've just connected eyes with her and she's looked at me with this like look of like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Put it straight back on and just turned around and just like kept doing what I'm doing. But I'm like, what, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> what is wrong with me? What about you, Jack? Yeah, well, obviously if someone's using the equipment, then try not to <laughs> disturb them and take plates off. It's not ideal. And can't say I, I've... I haven't done that in memory. I've done other stupid things in the gym. Like I've taken off, I had like three twenties on uh, one side for squats and I took them all off one, the other side and like the bar flipped and nearly hit someone, which is, that was pretty embarrassing. Although that was probably like six years ago now. And, but yeah, I think if someone's, if someone's using the piece, but it's stacked alongside then of course, yeah, that's fine to take off. I think you would have to be quite, protective of your not even your weight plates in order to not let people touch your machine or the plates on the machine yeah i know dy is pretty protective of of his iron though yeah just You're like just it's mine mid, stamping just mid, it <laughs> mid set mid set on that hammer strength shoulder press someone walks over to grab the 10 kilo off the back of it and you're just like stopping your set getting up what the fuck are you doing get away that's my plate for my next set get up rear naked choke him hey we were having a battle on the ground for a nice minute out he goes tap him yeah. out yeah but i've got actually a counter question you know when you're sitting there and you're waiting for a machine and there's a towel on it you can tell that someone's been on it but they're not there how what, what's the go what, what, like how long are you waiting before you take that towel off and you go hey this is now my machine mm. they're not there ripping, there might be I'm a towel that. I'm ripping that thing straight off and it's going straight into the rubbish bin. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably willing to wait a couple of minutes and then, I mean, yeah. there's been times I'll, I'll wait where out my exercise. Thing. Yeah. 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 Where like I've waited and I've waited and there's no one coming onto it. And I'm just like, Oh, stuff this. So I just grab the towel, put it to the side and I start my working set. And then five minutes later, a guy comes back in, down onto the gym floor and he's like, oh, sorry, mate, I'm on, you know, work phone call, whatever. Been on the it's phone always on for, the phone. <laughs> you know, for a half an hour or something like that. And, and I'm like, well, you know, tough shit, man. Like <laughs> I, got, I got shit to do. But no, usually they're totally fine with it. But yeah, I think a couple of minutes is totally viable. And it's like, well, 
you know, worst case scenario, let's just work in together. Like, is that so bad? <laughs> Do you guys ever have people who like you ask to work in and they say no? Like they I've got a few sets left or um I think what's also bad is when when you're obviously like in the middle of a set, like say a tricep push down and then someone comes up to you and like they ask for the attachment that's next to you and there's no like respect of you being in the middle of a set. It's like the equivalent of you too. being on the hack spot and then yeah. and then someone asking you like as you're pausing at the top, oh, can I take this 20 that's next to you? Like I just find that a bit uncourteous. Yeah, I think, I think I've definitely been on both ends of that. I think I've been the person that's <laughs> accidentally done that to someone and then I've been the person that someone's done it to me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I completely agree there. I think the question on disrupting like plates, pulling off machines, et cetera, I think your answer, Nicole, is perfect there. It's like if you feel as though it's actually going to disrupt them in the sense that they can see you visually perhaps removing mm. the the plate off the machine or they can perhaps feel the rattling of the machine as you're taking the plate off then then that's probably a no-go zone and i guess my my comparison would be generally when someone's doing like a, a barbell bench press i won't touch their bench press and take plates off it whilst they're in the middle of the set because i feel like they're probably more likely to see me removing the plate whereas if they're doing like a you know, a hammer strength front lat pull down or something like that, where perhaps those plates are stacked behind them. Mm. If you can slide them off without them noticing, it's probably not that big of a deal. You could probably even look at it as in relative uh, trading intensity in the in sense of the exercise they might be doing. They're doing something that's just an accessory. They probably don't really care if you disrupt them slightly, but if they're very focused on a, a, a very heavy lift, you probably don't want it to get in their field of vision. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I've seen you doing those cable abductions. I wouldn't want to mess with you while you're doing that. <laughs> Freaking heels going everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Flying, leg flying out to the side. Were you going to say something, D.Y.? You got this smirk on your, on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I'm thinking about when you... Well. <laughs> yeah, I was like thinking about it. Like I had some guy that came up to me and I was like dead set middle of the set and he knew I wasn't using the handle and he goes, mate, you using this? I go, yeah, I am just to spot him because he asks me dead set middle of the set. Like as I'm like, yeah, I'm using that. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> that's what you get mid set. Come on. I'll give it to you after make him wait. Yeah. That, that's mm. fair. Then you finished your set off and you're like, shit, I'm like, going to need to like use was, this attachment was, now. <laughs> yeah. It was the flat bar right underneath me using a rope. And I'm like, all right, come on. Like, get, let me finish the set and then you can take the bar. Like I don't mind, but yeah. It wasn't that like that giant, like black balls as the, yeah, the attachment, yeah. like the grip strength. Exactly. That, that he was piece, eyeing them yeah. off and he said, mate, I need those. I said, yeah, I need them too. <laughs> I can't even get them in the palm of my hand. <laughs> Skull crushers, right? Is that what we're using them for? Yeah. <laughs> Face pulls. Face pulls. Yeah, that's right. All right. Let's, uh, let's finish this off with the last question here, which is funny client stories. Let's start with you, D.Y. What's a, what's a funny client stories? Of course, we have to keep this on the down low. We cannot mention anyone's name. Confidentiality, yeah. people. But uh, is there anything that sort of sticks out? There's something that's quite funny that's yeah. what you'd like to mention. Yeah, I've got one. <laughs> so there was a client that was named the exact same name as my sister. Um, so when I was, my sister, obviously the, she, she was, when she was younger, she used to work at uh, McDonald's. So she was like, all right, if you drop me to work, um, text me your order. And then when I come home, I'll bring you the order. So I was like, all right, perfect. I'll get a double chicken wrap. So I've texted it to her and then she's obviously pulled up home. And then I'm like, well, where the fuck's my double chicken wrap? I dropped you at the bloody, I dropped you at work. That was a part of the bargain. And she goes, you never messaged me. So I go, what the hell? I'm like, so I pulled up my phone 
And it, I realized that I text my client that I wanted a double chicken wrap meal uh, from McDonald's. <laughs> and yeah, so I was very upset. Um, I didn't get my double chicken wrap. Um, and then also my client knows that I was uh, eating Mickey D's. It would have been funny if like the next week you you go into your check-in and the, and the macros are out on one of the days and you're like, what the hell is this? Look up the macros. She's like, yeah, I ate like a wrap from Macca's this day because I just yeah. thought that you were adding it to my plan. Yeah. <laughs> thought you were giving me a refeed you told me double chicken wrap large with a diet coke ah crap yeah 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 what about yourself jack anything that comes to mind honestly nothing really no i wish there was everyone's just a hard worker right you just need more adventurous clients like 450 (laughs) grams of broccoli or something and they let you know a story about that sugar alcohols yeah i mean the best story i've got that for that is lawrence so yeah um, Unfortunately, mm. I can't claim him as my client. I guess like if we look at the dynamic of, you know, coaching often, you know, athletes are, uh, are happy to share some of these interesting things that might happen to them in terms of like food intake or an embarrassment that might've happened in the gym. And, you know, I think in terms of the coaching, the coaching relationship that you have with these people is that often you sort of synonymously laugh together at whatever issue, you know, might, might've arisen, right. In terms of this. So I think, um, I think a lot of these uh, client stories that we that we might have is perhaps more things that we would share, but uh, you know, with our with our clients themselves. But I uh, I, I do remember a time where I was uh, training a bloke uh, back in my PT days, and he turned up to the session extremely hungover, extremely hungover, and I knew that this was going to just be a horrible recipe for you know as you would as you would know like just absolutely projectile vomiting, and of course that occurred in the session and I don't think it was a, uh, a funny client story because it was pretty damn gross to be honest, but um, was it in a yeah, safe place or was it in an inconvenient place? In it the was gym? in a very inconvenient <laughs> place. It was like in the rush towards the, the nearest, oh, God. Field, but, you know, didn't oh, I actually, I actually saw that. someone do that projectile vomit and miss a bin while I was PTing. Yes. Yeah, look, yeah. it happens, right? Yeah, it and does I guess happen. this comes back to that whole, you know, circle of how to avoid throwing up in an intense leg session. <laughs> we'll probably don't drink intensely the night before. That's probably a, a great recommendation there. But um, that is basically everything for today's episode. Uh, that wraps up another episode here, Bodybuilding It Done Under Podcast. Thank you again for joining us today. If you loved today's episode, remember to give us a subscribe and an awesome review, and we will certainly see you in the next episode. Bye.